dial star 611 for assistance as your cellular phone is not authorized for use at this time. Pour de l'assistance, veuillez composer étoile 611. Vous n'avez pas le... Hello, podcast listener. Everything around you that you call life was made by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. The App Guy Podcasts, straight from your host, Paul the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul the App Guy. So welcome to another episode of the App Guide podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kemp, and I've got a great episode lined up, a really interesting character called Stefan Itterheim. I've got the interview coming, but I thought I'd spend just one or two minutes talking about why I set this podcast up and what I'm trying to achieve with it. The idea behind the podcast is that there's so many of us uh, that are developing apps or involved in mobile or iPhone development, and we sit there and we kind of get involved in all the technical stuff, which is great, but we need inspiration sometimes. We need to hear the stories of people that are doing it and, and have set up their own companies or are, are going alone or are working as startups. And so the, I thought it would be great to kind of interview a lot of the uh, successful app developers and people involved in mobile and anyone who has an interesting story. Now, the measure of success is not how much money they have in their bank balance as a result of their endeavors on mobile, but more importantly, how passionate they are in this space, how much they've contributed. Have they written books? These guests are really passionate about what they do, and that's something that I think is worthwhile exploring, no matter how much money they have made from what they do. Some of the guests I've had so far lead very interesting lives. I've had a guest who snowboards before he codes. I've had a couple of guests who were involved in Next Step Applications, which is the platform that Steve Jobs created when leaving Apple for the first time. I've had another author who's written about app development and is still as passionate today as he was about software development 30 years ago. And he's had a, a very illustrious career. So that's the format, the idea behind the podcast. I'm really interested in feedback that you as the listener may have. So if you can take a minute, please do email me, get get in touch. I'm at info at onemob.com. That's I-N-F-O, info at one, O-N-E-M-O-B.com. I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say. So I have an interview coming up with Stefan Itterheim, a German game developer who left to start his own thing. A very interesting character, and I have to thank Stefan because he was suffering from a cold, uh, which meant that he wasn't on top of his game, but he was really interesting to talk to. And he has a philosophy on life that is just compelling, a very stress-free environment. He doesn't get stressed out about anything, and he also has a belief that he can... Uh, make the most of working on his own by waking up at midday and then working until the early hours of the morning. So completely different end of the spectrum to other interviewers I've had on the show. And I think you'll be interested in what Stefan has to say and his philosophy on life and game development. So let me hand it over to the interview and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the App Guy podcast. Uh, my name is Paul Kemp. I'm your host. And today we've got a terrific guest lined up for us. Uh, his name is Stefan Itterheim, and he is 
a blogger and an author and also working for himself and he's the author of Learn Coco's 2D. Also what's really interesting about Stefan is that I've interviewed now in the episodes on the app guy many uh, Americans and he's uh, flying the flag for Europe. Uh, he, he actually lives in Germany so that's why it's, it's terrific to get uh, a European on uh, my show and we can go through all your experience and uh, your years of uh, iOS game development, Stefan. So I'm thrilled that you've taken the ch- chance to join us. And uh, if you can just spend a minute to talk about your, yourself, your career, and perhaps uh, your business that you're running right now. Okay. Um, first of all, thanks for having me, Paul. And um, <clears throat> as for my career, I think uh, it's easily summed up as um, I went into the game industry in 1999 um, as a Game Boy developer and been there for three years. Then I switched over to PC development for um, what later became Electronic Arts Phenomic and I spent there um, like seven years until 2009. And if you remember, 2008 was the recession and um, subsequent layoffs. And uh, I decided with a couple of my colleagues to, um, well, do start our um, to start our own business. And uh, great, I think that's yeah. Well, that is where I would like us to focus because people listening to this podcast will be perhaps in your shoes that where you were 2009. Maybe they'll be thinking of taking the plunge and going alone. And So I'd like us to kind of go back to that point in your life if we can. And It's 2009. You've, um, you've been working and getting a nice salary every month uh, from your career and you decide to... Uh, actually set up your own company tell us tell us about that time in your life and and how you actually then did decide to go and do your own thing well back then um i was really happily working um or mostly happily working there and uh salary could have been nicer <laughs> to be honest <laughs> um but i was actually really surprised by my own decision um to uh well take the opportunity and um actually quit. I could have continued to my work there, but um, I really wanted to try something new. And um, having two or three other guys um, share the same uh, ideals, um, that sounded like a perfect match. And um, well, we immediately set ourselves to work and started working on a prototype that we wanted to pitch to iOS publishers. Back then, the iOS was uh, the big new thing. Um, the larger companies were like, uh, oh, that's too small a market, that's never going to work, and blah, blah, blah. And um, they weren't too encouraging, but um, we kind of uh, had this uh, intuition that this is going to, well, essentially explode. And um, we were very hopeful to get um, uh, funding. And there's actually a German institution, it's called the Hightech Gründerfonds, which... Um, is a funding institution for high-tech companies. And uh, we pitched our, well, our game development company there. And unfortunately, uh, this didn't work out and we didn't find any other funding ventures. Um, again, this was the recession or the, the aftermath after the recession and uh, people weren't too willing to invest in a new and emerging market. So... Um, I did learn one thing in the course of this uh, process, and that was um, 
how much um, need there is for good development tools for engines, um, um, what people are actually buying and, uh, well, would be willing to pay for, like, um, for example, starter kits, basically uh, templates for games so you can get started more quickly. And that's what my idea to um, become a freelance developer came from. There's so many interesting things to pull out here. The, uh, firstly, that you, you were working then with your colleagues. I'm assuming that these are colleagues uh, that were in employment with you and you decided as a group to um, actually go and do your own thing. What was it like trying to arrange those partnerships with your colleagues? What? <laughs> um, well, actually, um, we were required to um, do the formal process. So uh, at the... F at first, um, he had uh, needed to form what is called a GBR. Um, it's basically just uh, the lowest form of a company you can form here in Germany. All four of us we were equal partners in the company. Um, we later um, changed this a little because um, some invested more time than others. Um, that was okay. Um, and we eventually formed our GBR only to um, publish our one game that we did, the prototype. Um, it's called Black Hole. And um, it's, uh, well, the game I learned uh, Cocos 2D with and uh, um, also my first iOS development. Uh. So you actually then left with a terrific idea for a game. Is that what inspired you to leave and start your own thing, the uh, game Black Hole? Um, no, actually, the game was our prototype. I was basically, um, four of us or three, let's say, uh, we had were two programmers, one designer and one producer, and um, businessman. And so, uh, uh, this was the game we developed as a pitch for publishers, and we eventually um, polished it and uh, released it as our own game, in order to um, make back back some of the uh, investments that we did. And um, well, <laughs> that worked. Um, I think uh, best-selling day was like 200 copies at uh, $1. And from there, it was only downhill. downhill. Uh, I think every app developer has experienced times where they put so much effort into an app. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I've had days where I, I have good good days and bad days and uh, actually 200 copies of a paid app is pretty good but I guess the money you've put into it was uh, insufficient to cover the costs of that but what did you learn from that uh, experience? Um, one thing I learned for sure is that uh, publishers on iOS um, they don't work they don't work for the pub uh, for the developers uh, side um, we had a publisher and I, I don't want to well downplay their work but uh, it all didn't pan out as well as uh, we had hoped because um, basically back then at least um, the iOS publishers they were just taking on every project they could get um, take a large share out of it and hope for um, one of the 100 to be uh, one of the big successes and they'll put all their efforts into this one and the rest is just uh, um, could have been just as well off uh, not using a publisher and not sharing revenues etc. Yeah, t t tell us a bit more about uh, the role of publishers in your experience. What, what uh, were they charged t to do for the promotion of the app? Yeah, actually, we were um, putting our hopes on uh, that uh, they will be doing a good job at marketing our game. 
and um, unfortunately and, and very inconsiderate maybe um, their advertising campaign it was basically a, a press kit um, that came out two days before E3 and um, so basically no one really cared about uh, yet another new iPhone game coming out and everyone was um, more uh, focused already on the E3 itself and the new games that are being hyped and pitched. Right. So, uh, so, so in your experience, perhaps you would recommend to others that they uh, avoid g- going with publishers and uh, do their own thing, do their own marketing or perhaps use independent contractors. Um, yeah, basically, you don't need a publisher. I have no idea um, what's the angle on marketing. I mean, um, there's so much information on that. Um, social stuff, your own website, um, marketing uh, companies that do the stuff for you, Google AdWords, etc. Um I think it's probably a mix of those, but um, if you're a new developer, um, you'll be having a really hard time to actually pay for for all those. And uh, um, so, I think for an independent independent developer, I think the most important thing is to um, try to build a community around what you do and uh, connect with people and see that you can have a tweet that reaches a large audience or at least. Um, a few thousand people um, and hope that uh, the social networking thing uh, works for you um, because uh, really actually paying for marketing at this level of development um, for individual developers it's really hard so uh, that's best- a really good lesson learned in fact we had an interview with uh, an author a few day- days ago for me uh, uh, her name was Erica Sadun, and she was talking about the challenge that app developers have putting all their efforts into the app and then thinking as an afterthought about the marketing. Uh, and her advice was to, to actually just create an absolute killer app from the start. So, so okay, so we went through and you um, did Black Hole and, and uh, you, you put a lot of effort into that. And I guess that's in 2009, 10 now. How did do you move on from there? What was your next uh, kind of thing? Um, so uh, eventually, as we didn't get funding, um, all four of us went our own ways, and um, uh, I've been thinking about this for uh, a long while um, to create a editing tool for game developers. And since I knew Coco Studio back then, I. Um, uh, no, actually, um, my initial idea was uh, to develop a game editor for X and A um, because I really love uh, the framework. And um, but my experience with Cocos 2D led me to um, take on a small, um, basically uh, unpaid uh, project, um, and uh, that actually got me to uh, well. Basically, fund my own, fund my own freelancing company um, because that got me in contact with um, um, people at uh, Ravensburger, for example. Um, I did uh, a Mixmax app for them and a few others, and uh, that's uh, basically how I slid into the freelancing process and making money from making iOS games um, uh, with uh, Cocos 2D. And <laughs> actually, that wasn't really the plan it ju- I just uh, fell into that and I could I, 
I realized I could do some money and then uh, do the editing tool later on. And uh, <laughs> it's it's been three years right. and I haven't started an editing tool yet. <laughs> well, isn't that uh, a wonderful kind of story in a way that sometimes you can't plan these things. You have to kind of go and uh, bite the bullet and, and go and do them. Because if we could plan these things, then uh, everyone would be doing it. So you ended up then going alone. What gave you the credibility to get uh, freelance work? I think the credibility was um, from trying to launch a startup, um, developing the prototype, black hole and getting the experience uh, with Cocos 2D to um, develop this basically free app and that eventually um, got me noticed um, where I did this for someone who was already working at Ravensburger and he got me um, some more jobs basically um, so this this is how it developed and that was also an interesting story I um, eventually decided to launch a website learn Cocos 2D because I these days it's okay with the documentation you get from uh, external sites etc etc but um, back then there was hardly any official documentation and it was really frustrating even for us experienced developers to get a feel for um, how things work, what what features actually exist in the engine and which how they work together. And so I decided to create a learning website where I can blog or write articles or tutorials etc um, about Cocos 2D and I launched this website and I think uh, one or two days later I um, was contacted by another book author who got me in contact with APRESS and uh, I think a week later I had uh, a deal to write a Learn Cocos 2D book which I, which was uh, then the thing I worked on full time for the next four months or so and uh, I think that, that launch of the website was in May or June and I worked off um, until fall and the book came out in December if I remember correctly. Well, that's what's really interesting to me about that story is something I've been learning uh, since I've been doing this podcast series is that uh, opportunities seem to come when you attempt to do something that helps the community and helps uh, others. And, and clearly you were doing that by uh, writing the blog when there was not much documentation. Uh, and because of that, then you, you actually ended up getting a deal for a book and getting p approaches from the community. So is that fair then, that when you start to think about how to give back, then that's when opportunities seem to come? Mm, not sure if that's fair. <laughs> um, well, uh, I think it's... Uh, in my in my life experience, um, that's just what happens. Um, if you do good work, um, you'll get noticed, and um, even if you're a prick, um, you can still get some uh, people interested in you, or at least in your work and what you do. Um, so um, it doesn't. The good thing is uh, on the internet, um, uh, it's really easy to um, make a name for yourself. Um, or Let's not say easy. It's still a lot of work, but um, it's something you can uh, work on every day um, a little bit or um, just every two weeks uh, larger um, uh, to do something bigger. Um, and I think the, the um, what you call it, the, sorry, um, the, the bar. Yes. <laughs> the, bar the bar set by others. The bar mm. set by others. Um, it's... Um, Often the bar isn't that high if you uh, think about it. And there are always um, opportunities to provide something um, that others haven't provided yet. And one of my things is that um, when I can't find something uh, that explains to me in 
simple terms um, how things work or um, if there's no documentation at all, I research this and I try to find it out and that's where um, the ideas for um, actually writing about this stuff uh, come from. And in particular... Uh, um, so you mentioned, uh, Stefan, that you're making a name for yourself. I mean, that obviously came easy to you. But you had, well, in a way, you were approached to write a book and you, it was something that you, you were passionate about and, and uh, you could easily, I guess, get, get the content for that. Uh, what, what advice would you give to any, anyone listening to this to help them make a name for themselves? Because not everyone's got a book inside them. Well, what other things could they do, perhaps, to make names for themselves? Well, there's plenty of things. I think that what works best is um, what you love doing. Um, it took me uh, a long while to actually realize that um, I was more of a programmer and that I was uh, more of a service-oriented programmer who tries to um, uh, help people and, and try to um, formulate their requirements into code rather than... Um, just working off tasks or something like that. Um. Yeah, so I guess it's finding a passion for uh, w what you do and that that was something that, that you probably was holding you back from doing your own thing until you realized that this was your passion. Yeah, actually, the, um, <laughs> interestingly, um, this realization came only after um, two years or so um, after I quit my job. And um, when you look back in hindsight, um, you realize this is what I've done in the past and this is what I enjoy doing right now. Um, even though um, I don't have a, an employer telling me um, um, how I should do things and, and what I should be working on. Um, so basically that's what I figured out. Actually, my, my main task, my main source of enjoyment from my work was helping other people getting things done. That, that, this is really exciting to me because I think there's people listening to this that perhaps are about to go maybe to work uh, tomorrow or maybe they're on their way to work on a train and they've got to do a task that's been dictated to them by some corporate management system, a uh, top-down approach. Uh, maybe it's something they don't, want to, they don't want to do. What is it like on a day-to-day -day basis for you following your passion? Talk us through like a day and what it's like not to have that kind of top-down corporate system and just choose your own thing and, and work on your own projects and passion. Let's, uh, let's say there's actually no typical work day. I mean, I think yeah, it's, it's hard to say, okay, I get up in the morning um, because also that would be a lie. I, I get up in, uh, at noon maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> because I'm okay. a late worker. Um, uh, ironically, that's the opposite to many of the people seem to be promoting getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning and, and doing work in the morning but uh, you're the first person I've spoken to who uh, openly admits that it's easier to work in uh, the afternoon evening than, than get up yeah, early. That's been my biorhythm um, ever since I can remember I was always uh, someone who goes to bed late and wakes up late and I like to work in the dark maybe. <laughs> <coughs> So, so you can choose your own working hours. That's clearly uh, uh, one yeah, advantage. Um, that, okay, sorry. Um, but um, yeah, choosing your own working hours is actually, um, uh, that was uh, so very exciting when I started this. But um, in fact, um, it turns out that uh, in most of the days I'm working all hours I can. 
and uh, it's actually sometimes becoming a nuisance uh, that I um, become hungry, I get hungry, um, I get tired, I have to pee um, because I yeah. just want to keep on working and other days it um, can be really hard to uh, get uh, the motivation to um, actually start working and there's one thing that I learned that works really, really well. Um, if if I'm not motivated at all, there's only two things I can do. Um, one thing is sit down and start working because um, motivation uh, isn't going to come uh, just by itself. Right. And usually, if you, if I do that and sit down and start working, anything or at least uh, remotely related to what I've been doing, and sometimes maybe it's uh, it's a good thing to do that other thing you've been um, um, wanting to do, but um, you felt like you don't have the time to do that right now, um, then just do that. And um, that's often a, a very, very good motivator. And sometimes um, that doesn't help at all. And um, that's probably a good indicator that uh, I was working too much and maybe I just should uh, sit down, play games for the rest of the day and maybe even the next day and um, well, research. Yeah, it's it's basically also yeah, that's <laughs> we used to call this research actually at work um, um, with an uh, you know, twinkling eye. Come on, um, let, let's face it. You are actually doing a job that many people, I think, dream of doing. You know, a game developer, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're all. I mean, a lot of us certainly. I, I love games and gaming, and uh, to, you know, I, I just think you're probably uh, uh, an envy of a lot of people uh, listening to this. The thought of being able to play a game and not get told off by your boss—how great a lifestyle is that! <laughs> Well, it's not quite like that. Um, uh, usually, um, you get to play your own game, which is uh, kind of boring after you did this like the hundredth time. <laughs> yeah. What is it like playing your own game that you've worked on so many months? It must be, uh, you must see it very differently. It's interesting. I mean, um, one of the last, uh, the last couple PC projects I worked on, um, they were so huge. Um, you could hardly notice any um, week after week improvements um, overall in the game, and even though um, we were like eighty, at least over eighty people working on this game um, at one time, um, it's only when you have a milestone or a demonstration that uh, things start to develop really, really quickly. Um, it's it's no different from um, what you do as a small studio working on uh, Game Boy games. Once you get to the milestone uh, um, stage um, or the milestone comes near, um, things start to develop really quickly. And uh, it's actually more pronounced with um, uh, larger PC projects um, or these days also console projects. Um, so that's uh, I'm really interested now, and we're probably diverting off of the uh, uh, the interesting stuff. But uh, this is interesting to me. What games uh, do you tend to get uh, distracted by? Well, um, uh, Skyrim was probably um, the most recent game I put the most hours in, um, but also Minecraft. Um, was a big part of my life in the last couple, uh, last two years, I say, I'd say. Um, 
Have, in general, the, how's the gaming world changed? I mean, if you look at YouTube now, PewDiePie is the the biggest subscribed, uh, I guess, channel on YouTube. He's a gamer, uh, and Minecraft is just all all over um, YouTube every every day. It's on the top top list of uh, most viewed uh, videos. How has it changed? I mean, is there just a huge explosion in online uh, gaming? Yeah, absolutely. Um, though, personally, um, I used to play uh, Call of Duty and things like that online, but it was um, a couple of years back, and I actually stopped playing online games um, because uh, it's too anonymous. I don't know any of these people. It was different when I was uh, still working at um, Electronic Arts, where um, you had the chance to um, actually play with your coworkers from time to time. But um, if they are all anonymous, it's uh, for me at least. Um, I lose a lot of it loses a lot of interest um, to actually go online. Um, and personally, I enjoy uh, the games that are single player and immersive um, the most. So um, that's probably not typically my style. I think there's something really in that. In that, it's, it's so anonymous now. You may as well be, although you're playing against a human. You may as well be playing against uh, the computer because uh, you don't know these people, and it doesn't help you connect. So it's anonymous and annoying at times. <laughs> oh, yes, Xbox Live is my thing, and uh, I just remember those nights and five o'clock in the morning listening to some little kids uh, go through every obscenity and swear word that they possibly known to human language. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and while singing to his favorite song, really, really, really strangely, <laughs> and you can actually hear the song the whole time. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can, I can do without that. <laughs> so, that's um, before we say goodbye. There's um, there's some things I tend to ask uh, on most episodes that I do. Uh, what do you do as part of your personal habits that you think help you? One thing I try is to, um, when, when I really need to focus on work, and that's typically um, most of what I do um, because it's programming and it needs focus, um, I try to make sure to uh, have at least two hours, um, ideally more, um, where I have absolutely no distractions. Um, I'm fortunate enough to not get uh, too many calls and uh, even Skype messages, etc. Um, so, uh, but even then, I, I, I've, I've absolutely ignored people on Skype. I've uh, ignored other things going on, urgent mails coming in, um, whatever. I've been working the whole day and didn't even check mails um, just because I didn't think of it. Um, so it's, uh, I can really immerse myself in this work. Yeah, it's very common. I hear this all the time where uh, coders, programmers have to get into a zone. And do you, do you use any particular internet resources to help you switch off? Is there any programs that turn off? Uh, I, I believe there's some programs out there that turn off the internet or uh, turn off emails. Or Is there anything you use to help you stay focused? Yeah, it's called discipline. All oh, right, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I'm, I, I think I'm probably the least person you um, uh, that should be talking about discipline. Yeah, um, I mean, we've only chatted for half an hour here, and I can already see that discipline is probably not something that you would uh, strongly uh, practice. I mean, getting up at midday and going on games and things. 
It just comes with a field. I mean, if I'm immersed in programming and I have everything in my head, um, it just simply um, pushes everything out. Um, there's absolutely, I mean, it's uh, the most immersive game is programming, probably, um, if you do it right and if you put your mind to it. That's a beautiful quote. I might even write that down. The most immersive game is programming. That absolutely is true. Uh, is there anything going on in your your world right now that you're really super excited about that you'd love to share with the audience? Um, I'm always super excited about what I do. Um, uh, I currently work on uh, what I call Open Game World, which is a... Uh, framework to write game code in um, decoupled from the uh, visual side of things um, so basically um, a framework you'll find you'll normally find only in uh, um, well triple a engines where uh, things need to be separated because they're so large and this is something that I've been wanting to do um, for a long time because um, quite frankly I'm very uh, interested in developing good coding styles, good programming styles, and um, writing reusable code. I'm tired of having to uh, rewrite, refactor code all the time uh, when I move from project to project. Um, so this is one thing where I want to write most of my code in, and I don't really need to care about which rendering engine I'm using, whether it's SpriteKit or Cocos 2D. Um, I can target both. You know, that's interesting because I, only a few days ago I was speaking to uh, Gene Backlin, who's had a 30-year career in developing, and, and he was exactly the same in that he, he tries to write repetitive code that uh, will will help him uh, in, in the future. And uh, he, he kind of advises that, that there's something to get into. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and I love framework design, so um, that's that's really something I enjoy. And it, what's the best advice you think you've received uh, from anyone to help you succeed in what you're doing? Um, I I think the best advice and, and one I can for for some reason uh, really easily follow is. Uh, to not stress out over things uh, that are not in my control. Um, so I know people who put their minds to troubling thoughts um, that they have absolutely no control over. And I understand when it's things like um, you have no money on the bank, etc., etc. Um, like myself currently, um, there was some transaction that went to the wrong account and I could have... Uh, well, basically flipped out and my, my, <laughs> my bank account is running dry and I know there's a, a, a larger transaction coming up uh, in a couple of days and I just, well, did what I have to do. I canceled the transaction, uh, made a new one and um, things ought to be fine and if they aren't, I'll deal with the consequences. Um, maybe I have to pay, pay a couple uh, extra bucks in credit fees but I mean... Those are things I don't have control over, so um, I just do what's necessary and move on and see what the results are. Um, That's great advice, isn't it? Don't stress out about uh, things because uh, you have no control over them. Yeah, I wish I wish I could tell um, other people how to do that. Um, I really don't care too much about too many things that 
are out of my control um, to the point where it's actually annoying a lot of people because I can't be so, uh, you know, uh, considerate. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> I don't really mean, mean this uh, uh, in a way that's, uh, you know, I don't mean to be, what do you call it, um, to be an ass, basically. <laughs> I just don't give a f- about so many things. <laughs> yeah. so. That's a great attitude on life as well as probably coding as well. It, it uh, Not to stress out and the things out of your control. And, and, you know, I guess that's probably why you've uh, kept passionate about this for so many long, so many years. I mean, you've been in this game quite a long time and uh, you started off as a Game Boy developer and you've worked for some of the uh, big the big outlets out there and then you're doing your own thing and you're still passionate about what you do and perhaps that's because you don't get stressed out. Mm, yeah, probably. And if I don't, I, I'd probably be the most depressed person in the world. <laughs> um, that's the alternative. So um, I prefer not to stress out. So... Uh, before we say goodbye, Stefan, is there anything, I, I know I did send you um, a, a kind of interview preparation, which I've completely gone off uh, and done my own thing, So, <laughs> but is there anything you've, um, you wanted to say to the audience or you feel that we've missed that we should touch upon? Ooh, uh, probably so many things. Um, I know you asked me about uh, uh, recommended books and... Uh, that's one thing I can recommend is um, unless you are an absolute beginner in a certain uh, area of expertise, um, I think the most valuable books are those that are timeless. Um, I've bought so many um, programming books, in particular um, technology books, um, and uh, you know, learn to program with DirectX version 9.0 and all those kinds of uh, any any book that has a version number to it and. Actually, um, honestly, that also includes my own book. Um, they got get out of date so quickly. Um, they become basically useless after one or two years. Whereas um, classic books like Code Complete, Refactoring, and the uh, Design Patterns, Effective, um, whatever programming language you're in, um, those are books that last for a long time and they actually teach very valuable lessons that uh, advance your programming skills. So I really recommend buying or focus on buying the um, the uh, general books and the timeless classics. Okay, well, I'll put uh, the show notes, uh, I'll put some links to the books that you mentioned there. And it just kind of leaves me to say that I've actually really enjoyed going through uh, your story. And uh, I'm sure that there is people listening to this that are uh, actually quite inspired by your lifestyle and they perhaps want to um, really kind of follow in your footsteps in a way that you've you know you've gone off and you've done your own startup and uh, that, that didn't quite work out because of the funding which I'm sure like uh, is, is quite common and then you've gone and done your own thing and you've uh, fallen into freelance work and, and you're your own boss so um, thank you for sharing that story with us and the listeners. How can we best reach out to you? Uh, how can we best contact you, Stefan? Um, um, email is uh, is one way, um, but as I said, if I'm in a work mode, um, it could be a couple of days before <laughs> I answer it. Um, then there's uh, I have a forum, 
And um, if you have a technical question, please do uh, ask it on stackoverflow.com because um, I monitor the SpriteKit and Cocos 2D questions all the time and I try to answer whenever I can. It's actually one of the things I like doing um, to come down after work or start up before working um, because it's so, well, it gets me in the right mood to actually help solve problems. And would you recommend uh, that people get active on Stack Overflow? I mean, I know that many people I've spoken to just simply go to Google and use that as a resource and don't actually contribute. I guess, I'm guessing that you would recommend it's worth uh, actually contributing and answering uh, the questions that come up. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have a question, um, ask it on Stack Overflow. Um, um, if depends on how much time you want to spend on answering those questions. Um, I know um, a lot about Cocos 2D and SpriteKit, so um, many of the answers uh, come quick to me. Um, I know a time back then when I wanted to give an answer and it took me hours to do research, etc., etc., only to find a better answer um, in the meantime. <laughs> So, so let's um, ask you this then: uh, How much of a percentage of your work comes? You think? Do you think from your uh, efforts on Stack Overflow? Uh, well, at least the inspiration comes from Stack Overflow because um, I have a good understanding of um, the areas uh, developers are having problems uh, with. with. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, Oh, I see. Yeah. So then you're you're actually this is good research for you in terms of what tools that you can actually then target for developers. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, what kind of things uh, things I um, should be blogging about, um, like uh, uh, explaining some mysteries everyone is stumbling over and uh, things like that. That is. Where, um, I also recently used uh, Stack Overflow actually to. Um, um, assess the game engine popularity uh, or make my own game engine popularity index because I um, well, searched for the tags and uh, made a long diagram uh, to see how uh, the popularity of various engines mapped out over time and adorned that with um, Google Trends and so I come up with pretty good uh, overview of um, how individual game engines are faring. I find this stuff very interesting. That's one thing I took from um, uh, trying to launch a startup because we had to get a lot of numbers and not make them up and try to be realistic. So um, the research part I really actually enjoyed because there's so much resources out there. You just have to know um, how to tap them, how to... Um, find those numbers, how to generate them, even if they aren't absolutely no no way scientific. It's still helpful to see um, where are things going, um, what are the current trends, etc. Great. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I appreciate you giving up your time, especially you've managed to get through this podcast without sneezing. I know that you're feeling a little, little bit under the weather. So um, I, I, my, I guess, guidance to you would be to have a nice lay-in in the morning and uh, <laughs> uh, Stefan, I really enjoyed this chat. Uh, if um, if there's anything else you want to say, otherwise I'll say goodbye to you now, and hopefully we can have another chance to get you on the show in the near future. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I don't have anything to add, or probably will be going too far right now. Um, so let's add this here, and uh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it uh, as well.
Stefan, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you do have any ideas on who we should interview, please send that email to info at onemob.com. That's info at O-N-E-M-O-B.com. 